been a couple of weeks, but last time we looked at Acts 16 and started Acts 17. Thessalonica is about 60 miles from Philippi. It's a three-day walk, and it's an important port city. Probably it was the headquarters of the Macedonian Navy, and it was, uh, so it would be like a naval town, you know, like Virginia Beach or like San Diego. It was uh, a, a, a naval town. It, it had a population somewhere around 60 or 70,000 people, and there were some Jews and, and Greek converts to Judaism there, hence a synagogue. And uh, I'm, I put this in my notes just for fun. Do you know how many Muslims they had? None. Because Islam didn't exist yet, okay? <laughs> but there were, uh, as we'll see, there they were not Christians, but there were some Jews there and some Greek converts to Judaism. And as his custom was, Paul went straight into the synagogue and began to teach those in the synagogue that uh, were there. Now, they understood the concept of the Christ. Now, these are Jewish folks, Greek converts to Judaism. This is a synagogue. This is, this is a Jewish synagogue. This, in modern vernacular, the yarmulke, the tassels, the, 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 the black suit. Well, I, I wear black suits a lot, but it was, you know, that, that whole look. This, this was a Jewish, so they understood from the Old Testament, they understood the concept of the Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah. They knew the Christ, the Messiah, was the seed of the woman who would reverse the curse, the one that everybody, all of mankind, all of Adam's descendants, and especially the Jews, we're looking for, and, and it goes all the way back to that Genesis passage that said the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And they, none, they understood the Christ is this man, this seed, and they had been looking for the Christ. Paul met with them and did Bible study and said, the seed of the woman, as you can see in the Old Testament, they didn't call it that, just in the Bible, in the Scripture, the seed of the woman had to suffer and die and be raised the third day. I know that sounds weird to you because you see the Messiah as coming back and reversing the curse and power and splendor, but you, you, you've got to understand from your Bible, from the Word, you have to understand that servant had to suffer. Isaiah 53. He would suffer he, the stripes, the wounds. He, he, his soul would be made an offering for death. His bones would be knocked out of joint, Psalm 22. He begins to teach them from the, their own Bible that this Messiah, the seed of the woman, had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And, and then it says, and he looked at them and said, this Jesus that I am preaching to you is that Messiah. Fascinating. He's in the synagogue, and these people are looking for Messiah, and he's saying, this Jesus that I speak of, he is the Messiah. Paul's preaching 
was the means being used to persuade them to believe that Jesus was indeed their Messiah. In other words, he was saying, I know it's weird to you that he was crucified, but according to your own writings, the writings that you acknowledge as God's word, as sacred scripture, he had to suffer and die and be raised from the dead. So he's, he's expounding their own Bible to them in a way they had not understood previously. He is expositing the scripture. In other words, there's truth deposited into it. He's expositing, pulling it out. He's elucidating their own scripture to them. He's teaching them. The Greek for reason, it says he reasoned with them, means to dialogue. So you have questions, answers, conversation, back and forth. So you're telling me, well, yeah, the scripture says, blah, blah, blah. You're telling me, I got a question. If that's true, then what does this mean? So you have dialogue. There's questions and answers, discussion. Philip Hughes says the word literally means to open. Paul opened up their Bible to them, the word that they already had. In other words, they were already on the right road. They believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they needed some understanding from the word they already believed. With all you're getting, get understanding, the wise man said. I just can't help but make the parallel. We live in a Christian nation. We live among people who say they believe the Bible. This is, some say, the Bible belts buckle. But these people are in desperate need of understanding the book that they say they believe to be God's word. Can I get an amen? And much of what we've been called to do is to tweak and to expound and to exposit and to elucidate, to open them up to hear. There needs to be some dialogue uh, so the word of God can find a place and they can get further understanding. Does that make sense? There's so much ignorance. There's a word we say we're the Christ, we're Christians and we have the Bible. But so much of that is cultural. Do you know what I'm saying? It's cultural. I was raised a denomination. I was raised a uh, sect of Christianity. Uh, well, of course I believe the Bible. Of course, you know, everybody has their, of course I do, and of course I am, and my mama this, and my mama that, and my grandmother, and all this. But what about you? And what if grandma was wrong? Now, we believe here in life one that all grandmothers go to heaven, right? So, so when people say, are you trying to tell me my grandma went to hell? No. We believe all grandmothers go to heaven. <laughs> if, you, if you definitely want to close somebody up, let them think you think grandma went to hell. You know. Well, we love grandma. All gr grandmas go to heaven. But we're talking about you now, right? Here's what the Bible says and, you know. So you've got, it, it's a matter of opening opening people up who already say, I, yeah, well, of course I believe the Bible. I told you before, I used to deal with, uh, when I was uh, in my early days teaching Bible studies, when I dealt with somebody that said, well, I don't believe the Bible's the Word of God. Man, I was like, it's over. I'm like, you're going to hell. You don't believe the Bible's the Word of God? I'm like, I don't know what to say to you. Because I'm going to teach you the Bible. But if you don't believe the Bible, what can I teach you? You're going to hell. So I, that, I just wrote them off. Like, I, di I didn't know. It just bothered me so much. And then I realized the Bible's written for people who don't believe the Bible's the Word of God. So they can believe 
they can begin to believe. You know what I mean? It's written for unbelievers so they can become believers. We're not born believers. In America, we have a prejudice towards saying, I'm Christian, I believe the Bible. So uh, the Bible's written for people who don't believe so that they can become believers. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, Paul was, you know, going into these pagan cities, as we'll see, where they didn't even believe in Jesus. They didn't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They certainly didn't believe the Old Testament was the Word of God. And he's preaching the Word of God. So, I mean, you know what happened? They began to believe, and they became Christians. So, so the, the fact that somebody says, I, I don't believe the Bible's the Word of God, is not a problem. It's not a problem at all. On the other hand, there's a lot of people that say, yes, I believe the Bible's the Word of God, but they have no idea what it says. Well, you know, I, I watch Joel Osteen on TV, and I, I, I listened to Charles Stanley on the radio, and, and my mama was a you know big Chuck Swindoll fan or, or, or whatever. you know like I listen to these radio preachers occasionally, or you know, they may just say, I'm a Christian, but I believe all those radio and TV people are crazy. And uh, so I don't believe all that. What do you believe? Well, I, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Whew. Amen. You know. They need some understanding. Now, having said that, even with the preaching of the great apostle Paul, look at verse 4. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. So notice this, and some of them. Are you kidding me? This is not Donovan teaching and preaching. This is Paul, the great apostle, caught up into the third heaven. You know, already suffered greatly in his first missionary journey. This is the second missionary journey. He's not a novice. He's been around the block a time or two. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. This dude knows the Bible inside and out. Plus, God's revealed powerful, powerful truth to him. And it says, and some were persuaded. Just a few of the ethnic descendants of Abraham, his own brothers and sisters, were persuaded. While a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading Jewish women joined Paul and Silas. This reminds me, it reminds me of what I, I've been preaching on Welcome Home, the king who threw a feast. The initial invitees who showed up were just a few. Then the invitation went to the broken and the messed up, and more of them showed up, and then finally it went out to uh, 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 just go to the highways and byways and, and fill up my house. So here you have Paul is teaching, he's teaching like, and the cream of the crop, just some of them came to the faith. But a lot of the Greeks, they're like, I can dig this. They bought into it. And then a, a, a good many of the leading Jewish women and in that society, okay, not in, not in my world. Now in my world, whew, my woman is the queen, right? But, but in this society, you know, is a disappointment. It's like, you know, uh, we didn't get into it. We just got a few of the men. We got a bunch of the ladies, you know, came on board. And so it was just like it, the, the, the results were not uh, as promising as you would think with the great Apostle Paul preaching the gospel. But that's okay. Paul didn't say, well, I'm going to be done with all of you. I'm out of here. No, he he danced with the one the ones that came. You know, he he worked with them. Now, I've been wanting to deal with this word persuade for a while now. We've seen it a couple of times. Some of them were persuaded, persuaded. 
and without getting too technical, faith requires obedience. But faith does not include obedience. Faith requires it, but does not include it. In other words, one can have faith in and from the word and at the same time not be obedient to that word. James 2.20, faith without works is dead. You could say it like this, faith without the obedience that word requires is dead. It's unproductive. One translation says faith without corresponding action is unproductive. So according to James, faith, he said it, can be alone without works or corresponding action or obedience. But the word in the Greek for persuade or persuasion, it's a different story. Persuasion involves belief, but also includes obedience. So the devil believes, but he's not persuaded. The devil believes, the Bible says, and trembles. But there's no corresponding action or acts of obedience, works, as James said, that go along with that belief that he has. And you can believe and I can believe, but if our faith is not backed up with obedience, we're not persuaded. And I would state further, our believing will be just as unproductive as the devil's. Now, that's a thought. If you have no corresponding action that goes along with your faith, if you just believe but you don't act upon, then you, my friend, are not persuaded. Think of it like this. A farmer, a farmer can say, he can stand over his field and he can say, I am a Christian, I'm a believer. God's promised me great and marvelous and mighty things. And I thank you, Lord, for prospering me and for giving me a bumper crop this year. Thank you, Jesus, for a bumper crop of, let's just say, uh, sugar cane. You're going to give me fields full of sugar cane this year. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for that sugar. He can go out there every single day and thank God for sugar cane. But if he don't plant a seed, he ain't going to get no sugar cane. You can rest assured, not a single stalk will come up if the seed is not planted. Why? Because faith without corresponding action is dead. Now, we could get on money. You know, people say, well, God's promised to open the windows of heaven and, and pour out a blessing that I can't contain. And, and you know, it's connected, though, to the, the seed of the tithe and the offering. The problem with money and TV preachers, they've corrupted all that, you know, and I saw a guy the other day, I hadn't seen this in a long time, but I saw a preacher, and he was doing the, the old, we're going to ask our ushers, to, we're going to sow a seed, and he was doing that whole thing, we're going to sow a seed of, in the offering, and God's going to bring a blessing, and it wasn't that what he was saying was wrong, it's just like cliched and tired, do you know what I'm saying, just from the, the uh, overuse and abuse. And just the it's almost a caricature of itself, a, a parody of itself. 
uh, I saw that. I told that. I showed it to Valerie. I was like, "Look at this, man. I haven't seen this in a while." You know, going so was and and it was just it was hilarious. Some truth in what he said. It's been abused, but but there is truth. Pour out the windows of heaven. Well, have you stopped robbing God and giving the tithe and the offering? Because he said, bring me the tithe and y'all test me, prove me and see what I do. But if you don't sow the seed, you're not going to get the harvest. Now, God will put his blessing. You can sow a little seed and God can bless it enormously because he's God. But you've got to sow a seed. And so faith without works is dead. And you can't have faith without corresponding action. But to be persuaded is going to another level. I don't want to overstate this. I don't want to spend too much time here. But back in Matthew 7, and we've looked at this. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many miracles, wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This sounds to me straight up legalistic, hardcore. It's religion uh, from the lips of Jesus. These are people who had faith. These are people who had prophesied, delivered people. If you get down to the practicality of it, delivered people from bondage. Healed people in the name of Jesus. Supernaturally ministered to people in the name of Jesus. Yet Jesus says, but you got the obedience, you got the obedience wrong. He who does the will of my Father in it. It's not enough that you call me Lord and that you believe. Have you done the will of the Father? Have you obeyed the word? To believe is one thing, to be persuaded it's taken at a whole different level. And, and God wants a, a room full of persuaded people, people who have been persuaded. Verse 24, therefore, whoever, who, who, he elucidates some more. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And that whole story about the house that stood when the storms came is all about a man who did what the word required corresponding action and the house that fell is all about a man who did not do what the word required same storm similar houses different foundation completely different result one was a believer one was persuaded can i get an amen are you with me so persuasion is very strong. The bottom line is this. From the Greek, one can believe without being persuaded, but one cannot be persuaded without believing. Believing. So persuasion, it's a powerful, powerful thing. Abraham and Sarah. I'll move quickly through this, but would never have had Isaac had they just said, uh, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Somewhere down the line, Abraham has to say, let's go out for dinner, Mama. You know, just saying. 
<laughs> you can believe without being persuaded, but to be persuaded means you believe and you act on that belief. You act accurately, appropriately, humbly. Here's a word you don't hear much anymore in church. Submissively. It's a bowing the knee to the word. What you going to really bow the knee to? No man's seen God at any time. I'm always skeptical. I've got to be honest. When somebody says, well, I, you know, I had a vision. I saw Jesus. I'm like, really? You know, I've heard some of those visions before. I saw Jesus, and Jesus said this and that to me and this and that to me. You know, I've even heard people say that, and what Jesus said to them didn't line up with what he's already said in his word. If you're going to submit to the Lord, it's going to be to the word. To the word. I mean, it's a humbling, submissive thing to bow the knee to the word. So, so here we have Paul preaching the word as only Paul could preach it with power. He said, when I came to you, I didn't come with you know, excellence of speech and all this. He said this to the church at Corinth. He said, but, but I came in the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. This is an anointed man of God with powerful revelation. And he expounds, and it says, and some of them believed. That means there was a lot of those religious dudes that said, eh, I don't know about all that. And they just made a, a way to dismiss what he had preached. So some of them were persuaded. You'll remember, we'll see this uh, in a little while, Acts 26, where Agrippa told Paul, you almost persuaded me. I'm believing you, son. But I ain't persuaded. I ain't going to act on it. And Paul says, I wish to God you weren't just, you know, uh, halfway. I wish you were all together like me, fully persuaded. Except for these bonds. You know, I wish you didn't have these chains like I got, but I wish you believed like I believe. So persuasion is very powerful. Inc incidentally, this is Paul's second mis missionary journey, and it was in part funded by the church at Philippi. Did you know that? He, he had planted a church in Philippi, had some trouble down there, came over to Macedonia. And Lydia's there, seller of purple, different ones. That church uh, supported him, uh, Philippians 4, Verse 5 says, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessity. Isn't that cool? It was the church at Philippi that was supporting this missionary journey. We support missions here at LifePoint. I sent a $500 money order today to missionaries. We support missions here at LifePoint. Somebody's got to. As the old saying is, some go, some are sent. And some just up and went. That's that's the other part of that saying. But, but uh, yeah, We support missions. And here the church at Philippi was supporting these missionaries. And that's very, very vital. As a, as a matter of fact, Paul would go on and say, uh, and because you did so, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. A lot of times we want to quote that scripture, but we want, don't want to give. Like this church that he was writing to gave. They gave sacrificially. And God made a difference in their lives. Now, 
verses 5 through 9. But the Jews who were not persuaded, check that wording out, not persuaded, becoming envious, jealous, took some of the evil men from the marketplace. I wonder who those cats were, right? Who, who was listed as the evil men of the marketplace? Took some of the evil men <laughs> from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, listen to this, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled, they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. A lot going on here. First of all, notice these were the Jews that were not persuaded. These are religious Jews. You know what they're looking for in the scripture? Messiah. You know what they're looking for? Another king that would overthrow Caesar. But when it was convenient to use this against Paul, they threw this out. Oh, they preach that Jesus is the king. And, and they're trying to overthrow the Caesar, something we would never, ever fathom. We're going to tell on them uh, to the authorities. But they gather the evil men. They get a mob. They get things going. So envy on the part of these religious Jews who were not persuaded was the root cause of the persecution here. Envy. If Paul, listen to this, this is amazing. If Paul would have had no success, they would have had no reason to be envious. And they would have let him go. But his greatest enemy was his success. Because it stirred up his rivals to jealousy. And they sought to destroy him. It's amazing. Don't think everybody is going to clap for you and rejoice when you succeed. There's going to be some that are going to try to take you down because they're jealous. And these religious Jews were not persuaded. They had already closed their minds to the things that God was trying to open them up to. And as a result, they went after Paul and the success that he had. The Thessalonians were unfair. Verse 11 tells us this. We'll see it in a few minutes. But they were unfair. Paul took the word the religious Jews had been preaching from, opened up the people's understanding further, and the religious leaders refused to open their minds. And what happened was they lost people, they lost money, they lost power, they lost influence, and so they came after Paul and Silas. And it was said of them that Paul and Silas were turning the world upside down. Actually, it was already upside down. They were turning it right side up. But oh, how this angered the religious people. You're messing up our system. The Romans didn't really care what these folks believed one way or the other. But keeping order was one of their primary responsibilities. There would be trouble, and the Caesar didn't like trouble. So they had to squelch this uprising as they saw it. This riot was a problem. So Jason, when it says gave them security, posted bond. 
He went to a bondsman, you know, a bail bondsman. He went went to, you know, AAA, your friendly AAA, whatever, you know what I'm saying, and posted a bond, a security deposit, basically, that guaranteed, okay, we will not start a riot, even though they didn't start this riot. It's the only thing that that led up this situation, gave some relief to this situation. So Paul and Silas left Thessalonica quickly. Actually, Paul did. Silas stayed behind as not to bring on further persecution and to keep Jason, Brother Jason here, from losing his security deposit, right? Funny. Paul spent only a few weeks in Thessalonica. He wanted to continue his teaching there, but he had to leave suddenly. So what did he do? He wrote him a letter, 1 Thessalonians. And many scholars believe this was the first of the letters that Paul would write that would eventually become books in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians would be the first one. And he wrote it back to this group because he had to leave quickly. Verses 10 through 15, check this out. Are you with me? Almost done. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, you guessed it, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, they were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. Remember, I said those in Thessalonica were not fair. These in Berea were more fair-minded in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. They searched the scriptures, these Bereans. They opened their minds. They worked to corroborate, to verify. They were not lazy with the scriptures. They were fair-minded. Actually, in reality, they were having their hearts more receptive. They were opening their hearts. Uh, An open heart automatically brings about an open mind. And so they were opening their hearts. It says they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures every day to find out what if what Paul was saying was really true. I love that. They didn't take their traditional prejudice and say, that's not true. They opened the Bible and said, show it to me. And they searched and they dialogued and they debated, are these things so? Oh, I love people like that. Lead us to hungry people like that. I'll never forget coming back to the Lord when I was all messed up and, and, and finally finding my way back to some extent and taking the Bible and just laying it out on a table and saying, God, you know I don't know what to believe anymore about this book, but if, it's, if you'll show it to me, I had this prayer. This was a conversation me and God had. If you'll show me a truth in this book, I will embrace it no matter if it's what I heard growing up or not what I heard growing up. 
no matter if it's convenient or inconvenient, if it makes me stick out like a sore thumb in, in this world, I will believe whatever is in this book. I, I am open to it. I emptied my bag, and I started picking up truths as God showed them to me. I pushed it all in. I said, all my idea, and the Lord had told me that. Everything you believed, you thought you knew what you were talking about, you were ignorant, you know, like he had chastised me in my prayer time. And I, be, I just took that Bible and said, okay, I'm open. You show it to me, and I'll embrace it if it's in there, or I won't embrace it if it's not in there. And I began to pick up a truth at a time. And, and there's just something powerful about somebody, listen to this, who is not afraid to pay the price of rejection from the world, but acceptance with God. J Jesus said, depart from me, you who have not obeyed the will of the Father. Get away from me. I never knew you. You're not one of my kind. I I've always been submitted to the will of the Father. I don't know who you are. But those of you who have submitted and walked in the word, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in. And, and I just want, I wanted to be like that, and I love it. I love it when people are open. And that doesn't mean we're going to, you know, agree steadfastly on every single point in the Scripture. But on the other hand, there are some things we will agree about. Amen? There are some things. Now, oh, my pastor, isn't this exciting? My pages are sticking together. I don't know what's up with the paper. But just like what had happened in Paul's first missionary journey, here he comes again. He just, he just, he just, it just follows him everywhere he goes. Look at verse 13. But when the Jews from where? Thessalonica. He's down in Berea. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both, here's where Silas stayed behind. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul through brought him to Athens and receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. So Paul went to Athens. Silas and Timothy helped the new converts at Berea. Took them through Discover Life, you know what I mean? Like, went on some home Bible studies, helped them mature, but then Paul sent for them. Verse 16, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, this is amazing, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. So more than likely, Paul had never been to Athens, Greece. This was his first time there. And he enters in like a tourist would. It's a famous city. He's wanting to check it out. And so he goes in with curiosity and great interest, sails in as a tourist, and he sees that the city was given over to idols. The wording means under idols. It was under the influence of idols. It was drowning in idols. Another translation of the word is swamped. They were swamped. There were idols on top of idols. There were idols everywhere and Paul's spirit was provoked. It was unsettling to him when he saw this magnificent city full of people who were totally given over to idols. I don't know if you've ever been to a place that's holy, 
given over to idols, but it can be quite depressing. Sometimes you go to New Orleans and that's exactly how it feels, right? Just a city completely given over to idols. And notice this, therefore, he reasoned where? In the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine or teaching is which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Wow, that's some cat. What'd you do today, honey? Oh, you know, I went to the Areopagus so I could hear or tell some new thing. Because that's what I always do. They always did. So these they have endowments. I don't know if they were sponsored. But all they did was they went and they just listened to new ideas. And they told ideas they had. And they called Paul a babbler. The wording there means seed picker. You can see this in the NIV study Bible and some other sources. It'll mention this. It brings it out. They looked at Paul, the great Apostle Paul, as a seed picker. What does that mean? It's not somebody out picking seeds. It is a bird, a pigeon, if you will, who's walking around, you know, (laughs) they're so goofy, right? Pigeons are so goofy and nasty. My kids like to chase pigeons and seagulls. To this day, they still like to do that. Look at all the birds. This is what happens. I know what's coming. I can see. We're, we can be in a downtown area. We can be on the beach, wherever we are. And, and there's like there's a flock of birds on the ground. And what do my kids do? They're like, look at all those birds. Look at all those birds. Look at all those. Ah! And they go running through the birds. It happens every time. And the birds go flapping and flying. And, and, and the kids laugh. And it's, you know, it's, that's so funny. But those those pigeons, like in, in New Orleans, for instance, just you know, walking around and, and they pick up something and they pick up something and they pick up something. They eat seed. And that seed then drops from the sky onto your car. Or in my case, in your car. <laughs> and they have transported a seed and helped in the pollination process. Helped in the. And, but here's the deal. They looked at Paul and they said, you just you pick up ideas and you spit them right back out without digesting them, without understanding them. This is the apostle. Paul. They greatly. Underestimated. Who he was and what God had called him to do. Jesus had told him, I'm going to show you some things. You're going to suffer for my name, son. But Paul was holding on. He, he, he was chasing after what had 
apprehended him. And he wouldn't let go. He just wouldn't let go. And so they're like, oh, this stupid wannabe philosopher. We'll listen to what you have to say. And Jesus and, and Paul goes up and unloads his Jesus message on them with hardly any success. Blows my mind. How many of you would like to hear the great apostle Paul preach? I would. If you've read any of the epistles, you have to have that desire. Like, wow, that would be amazing. Here these guys were in the presence of royalty. I know he considered himself to just be a humble servant, and he was. He was just like us. He was just a man. But the dude was a chosen vessel, and he preaches. And they're like, ah, seed picker, just like we thought. Next. But we're going to see where Paul left Athens, goes into Corinth, and he goes with a determination. When I was among you, I didn't choose to know anything but Christ and him crucified among you. I, I didn't try to impress you. I don't think he tried to impress the Athenians. His goal was not to impress. His goal was to preach Jesus and him crucified and risen from the dead. To the, to the Greeks, he said, it's foolishness. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. But to those who believe, it's the power of God to salvation. And there were those who would believe and be persuaded, and they would establish churches throughout Europe.